Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. For roughly 5,000 years, people called themselves doctors and pretended to know all sorts of things that they didn't know and were as likely to kill you as to cure you. These doctors existed because sick people desperately wanted to believe in them. Coaching feels the same way to me. For decades, people just sort of hoped that if a man was hollering at them, he must be helping them to win. Maybe he was sometimes. But that's not my point. My point is that even if coaches have no effect on performance, even if they're doing more harm than good, we might still insist on having them. Because we need someone on our side to believe in. But coaching's changing in the same way medicine changed 100 years ago. Coaches are discovering science, and science is discovering them. I'm Michael Lewis, and this is Against the Rules, a show about various authority figures in American life. This season is about the rise of coaches, and this episode is about data and pitching. A while back, in 2003, I published a book called Moneyball. It's about how the Oakland A's baseball team had used data analysis to get an edge on everyone else. They were a poorly funded team in a small market. They had no money to spend on players. But their new and better statistics enabled them to value baseball players more accurately. So they could sell the players that were overvalued and trade for the ones that were undervalued. I remember at the time being shocked at the notion that baseball players could be misvalued. I mean, baseball players have been doing the same job for a century, out in the open, in front of millions of people. But suddenly, all over, a thing that had been done a certain way forever was now being done a totally different way. 
everyone in baseball started using data and getting all sorts of insights from it. And the insights led not just to better valuations of baseball players, it eventually led to a new kind of coaching. In the past, it used to be that many coaching positions were almost a sinecure. That's Ben Lindbergh, co-author of a book called The MVP Machine. It's about a revolution in how the world's best baseball players get coached. It was the coaches who were the manager's pals, his drinking buddies, would become the coaches. And there wasn't that much coaching going on at the major league level. It was sort of reinforcing lessons that had already been taught and keeping guys in line. But there wasn't that much expectation that coaches would improve players once they got to that level. But that was about to change big time. Ben was part of a huge and growing crowd of data geeks outside of baseball who spent lots and lots of time analyzing players and building models to try to predict their performance. As sophisticated as the statistical projection models are, they'll only really look at the player's past performance and his age and maybe some comparable players from the past, and they'll spit out a projection that say, well, he was this good in the past few years, and we'll adjust for the ballpark, and here's how old he is, and so here's our median projection for him. And so all of a sudden, there are players who are just busting out of those projections. Exactly, and a, a projection system would never forecast that. It might say that someone's going to get a bit better or a bit worse, but typically it won't say that someone is going to do something that's completely out of line with their past performance. In other words, teams had gotten really good, or at least a lot better, at evaluating the potential of all their players. But the players were still playing better than expected. So much better that the analysts were a bit suspicious. By the last time you saw this, it was with the steroids uh, era, that all, all of a sudden people, players were performing in ways that the projection models would never have guessed. And you're so you're kind of seeing it, but without without an, ex an explanation as obvious as steroids. Exactly, yeah. Ben started looking into what these players were doing, the ones who were dramatically exceeding the analysts' expectations. The overperformers all had something in common, coaches who used new technology. One of the really big innovations has been the high-speed camera. So a company called Edgertronic, which developed these cameras for scientific purposes, has found that much of its business has come from baseball teams because baseball teams have found that if you train these high-speed cameras on players, you can perceive things about players' movement that they didn't know about themselves. And the coaches using these cameras were very different from the old-school baseball coaches, the sinecure guys. For a start, the new coaches weren't former big league players. In some cases, they didn't even know any big league players. My name is Kyle Bodie. Like this guy. I was 22 years old, uh, started coaching Little League, and I realized quickly that I just didn't know anything about coaching. Kyle had just moved from Ohio to Seattle, where he'd landed a part-time job as a Little League coach. Yep, that's how he started in life, as a Little League baseball coach. I had played some. My father was a coach. But I figured I owed it to the kids to learn just a little bit more about keeping their arms healthy. And he had some questions like, how many pitches should a kid be allowed to throw? And what was the best way to throw them? I mean, I was once a pitcher, and I spent half my life with my arm in an ice bucket. To this day, I can't sleep on my right shoulder. Throwing a ball overhand, it might look like a natural and healthy thing to do, but it's not. Kyle Bodie looked around for research on the subject. But unfortunately, it was all very nonspecific, kind of very academic research. 
Uh, and then the training programs and the coaching programs that were out there were very uh, bland, not based on any sort of evidence. It really shocked me. So Kyle started to do research on his own. Then he got a promotion from Little League to the freshman team at a Seattle high school. But he found himself at war with the JV and varsity coaches at the high school. They were coaching the old-fashioned way, telling players what to do, hollering at them when they screwed up, praising them when they didn't. Actively coaching athletes just typically makes them worse. Just intervention is typically one of the worst things you can do. What are the points of friction with the old coaching model? Like, what specifically kind of things would you do that were heretical? So informing the athlete that, like, whatever they're doing is not good enough, and then just seeing how they change over time and how they will self-organize was a real heretical idea, right? Because most coaches think that they have a lot to give to the athlete, and my view on it still is today is that they're good enough. Like, we just need to give them the right direction and let them figure it out for the most part. You ever read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis? I have, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Anyway, in his first year coaching, Kyle's freshman team won as many games as they lost, which was actually pretty great. That season, the school's varsity and JV teams were losing most of their games. But at the end of the year, the head coach fired Kyle because the other coaches hated his methods. They thought he had no clue how to coach. That didn't stop Kyle. He doubled down on his approach. And he wound up building what amounted to a baseball bionic man factory. Driveline baseball, he called it. So describe to me this laboratory you build. In its current incarnation, it's about 15 uh, high-speed motion tracking cameras. There's force plates in there to measure ground reaction forces. It tracks every movement 240 times per second, and it's sub-millimeter accurate. So every movement can be tracked down to at least one millimeter of accuracy and usually much better. Let's go. 100.4. The high-speed cameras allow Kyle to measure the speed of a pitcher's arm, among other things. The faster a pitcher's arm, the faster the ball comes out of it, in theory. 103.0. In practice, not all pitchers are able to translate their arm speed into ball speed. Two guys with the exact same arm speeds might throw very different fastballs. If someone's arm speed is extremely high and the ball comes out at like a lower predicted velocity based on like a regression algorithm then we know that there's some inefficiencies there that we should be able to easily clean up. That is, you could identify people with the God-given talent to throw a baseball because you had new insight into where that talent came from. So when that happens, are you thinking there's this pool of players out there who have high arm speed, low velocity that we can just fix? That's all that I think about pretty much every day. And could you, like, drive around with a little truck and put people in the back of your truck and test their arm speed? Is that what you would do? Yeah, that's actually funny. We almost bought an RV to do exactly that, to drive around the country with our lab. It turned out he didn't need to drive around looking for people with this weird arm talent. They found him. I realized that I needed to make a change going into the season. I was helping out my dad's team and trying to make money in every way. That's Matt Boyd. Back in 2017, he was an unknown minor league pitcher coming off a terrible season. He had a below-average fastball, around 89 miles an hour. Oh, and he had an arm injury. 
The way he was going, he's about to be spending a lot more time with his mom and dad. Over the Christmas break, one of my dad's players came back, and he was a 91-92 guy in, in high school, and he was at Oregon State, and after the fall, he was 98 miles per hour. Oh. I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I go, what, what were you doing down there? He's like, I did the driveline program. Driveline. That's Kyle Bodie's lab. So at that point, Kyle would have been kind of a local secret. So someone all of a sudden has this kind of miraculous jump in velocity. You hear about it and you go see, you call Kyle. Yeah. Had, you, had you ever heard of him at that point? No, hadn't heard of him. Matt goes to see Kyle in his bionic man factory. Uh, in here we have cameras, radar guns. I go up a little stairwell and here's, you know, a little eight foot wide by 10 foot high probably pitching lane tunnel created with all this technology in there and there's Kyle behind a computer and he runs me through the program. At that point, had you ever seen the, the technology that was there? No, and honestly, I didn't. I couldn't even told you right today what I saw in there. I couldn't even told you what was going on. A bunch of bucket lids for some curveball drills. It looks like just a lot of gizmos. A lot of gizmos, a lot of wires, a lot of interesting looking baseballs, a lot of lines on a pitching mound and stuff. And, uh, you know, Kyle explained to me what the concept of what he does. And uh, we talked about it and then we just started the program. Kyle put Matt Boyd through a bunch of tests. The big one was to test his arm speed, but he never used the phrase arm speed. Kyle actually never told Matt what he was testing for. He, in our lab, tested higher than pretty much everyone and still almost everyone to this day. He's just an excellent athlete, and yet the ball velocity wasn't where it needed to be or where it predicted it should be. So what was the inefficiency? Like, what was what, what was he doing that caused the ball to come out more slowly than it w- you would have predicted? Right, it's really hard. We don't know the root cause yet. That's, that's the actual interesting thing, is we're still studying, like, why this happens. At the lab, Kyle hands Matt these really heavy balls to throw. He's found that when people throw a heavy ball their body naturally finds the most efficient way to do it because it's so painful and uncomfortable to throw it inefficiently. Matt basically moves into the Bionic Man factory and throws heavy balls the entire off-season, then rejoins his minor league team. And, you know, I get down there, I tell them I'm, I'm full progression off the mound, and they're like, oh, okay, well, let's see it. And my first bullpen, I'm, not, I'm 92 to 95. Oh, and I think everyone's going, what the heck happened? You know, and uh, even I am. I'm going, man, I'm throwing the baseball up in the zone now. This is amazing. This is so cool. Like When all of a sudden you've got this new weapon. Yeah. When you've got this fastball that's coming out of your hand three or four miles an hour faster than it usually does. What, what do you notice in, in what happened and how hitters respond and how, hitter, how the effectiveness hitters have against you? I remember going in to double A that season and we had a catcher named Jack Murphy who was about four or five years older than me and he went up and told me he goes Maddie you have a new fastball you need to pitch off it I remember I was kind of scared I was like what I've never done that in my life I'm always fastball change up and then I mix my curveball in you know but he challenged me and all of a sudden I'm like striking guys out on three fastballs in double a and I'm going like is it this easy like this is all it took By the end of that season, Matt Boyd had been called up to the major leagues, to the Detroit Tigers, to be a starting pitcher. Paints in and then paints away. Both fastballs, one, two pitch to Bird. Another strikeout for Matthew Boyd to start the fourth. They now pay him $5.3 million a year and feel like they're getting a deal. 
And Kyle Bodie, well, now he has a new job, too. I'm the president and founder of Driveline Baseball and the director of pitching initiatives of the Cincinnati Reds. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before Nerd Wallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet, but you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Somebody asks a question. How do you throw a ball faster? They gather data. They measure everything that the human body does when it throws a ball. They test theories and find answers rooted in science. All of a sudden, there's a new way to coach. And it's getting adopted in sports. But not just in sports. Because there are people all over who don't know why they're good at something or how to get better. About five years ago, I was CEO at a, at a software company, and we're growing pretty quickly. This is Amit Bendoff. Five years ago, he was just another Silicon Valley entrepreneur trying to get his product out the door by using salespeople. But I was puzzled why uh, some of our people were more successful than others. And every time that we wanted to understand why, we had to go and interview people and see what they think. Amit didn't want just a collection of stories. He wanted data. Why did some sales pitches work while others didn't? Think about like football, right? Or, or, or baseball, right? If, he, if the coach never sees the game and the only things to understand how to get better is by interviewing some of the players what they think have, has happened. Um, so I wanted to have like something like a game tape and game stats uh, for sales and, and AI to understand what really separates the top performers from everybody else. You know that message that you get on customer service calls? This call may be recorded for quality assurance. We appreciate your patience. 
reported for quality. Companies were recording their sales calls, but no one was really listening to them. Amit wanted to listen to all the game tape and analyze it. And I then started asking a bunch of other people, you know, if we build a system, kind of shine a light on conversation and give you insights from that, would you buy? How much are you willing to pay? Amit created a new company. He called it Gong. He went to people and said, hand me all the recordings of all your sales calls, plus a list of your salespeople in order of how good they are. We'll analyze it. And so if you'd gone to just one of those top salespeople and asked, what you doing that works? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, because they don't know. People think it's an art, right? It's like they're not aware that it's something that they're doing because they don't know what the other people are doing, so they don't know what the differences are. The Gong artificial intelligence had no theory about what worked and what didn't in sales. It just had millions of sales pitches. It searched for patterns in both the calls that got results and the calls that didn't. The gong actually learns, like, it, it looks at the salespeople and says, like, which one is closing more deals? And then it starts to analyze the difference. So the software learns automatically. You just connect to the calls. If there was an art to any of this, it was in the questions that gong asked of the phone call data. I mean, a very simple one is like uh, percent of talk time, right? You and I are talking right now, and by the end of the call, Gong said, well, Amit was talking 56% of the time. It turns out there's lots of things that separate a great sales pitch from a bad one. The simple virtues are sort of obvious, but they could now be quantified. On average, 46% talk time is ideal. 13 questions is optimal, right? Not less, no more. So this alone is food for thought, that there's a maximum amount of time to be talking. If I were to talk only 46% of the time, would my wife stop telling me that I don't listen? What if I counted the number of questions I asked in a particular conversation and stopped myself at 13? I mean, it's not that if you ask 14, you lose that deal, but more than that, people might lose their patience and... Too less, it means you're, you're talking too much. Uh, patience factor, that's like a pretty big challenge for a lot of people. They're too quick to respond. So it's a good practice to pause, think, and then reply. We all know that. In theory, at least, Gong could act just like a game coach. Just blast instructions into a person's ear as they pitch the product. Shut the hell up. Ask another question. You're at 73%. Amit decided it was better if he didn't do this, if he offered the feedback after the call instead. You know, we'll alert the coaches to hear, like, three conversations that have room for improvement, and then the coach will open them up, just like a game tape, and start breaking it down and start commenting, oh, minute uh, 306, I really love the way you phrased that question. Have you considered X? Man, if I were in sales, all of this would drive me batshit. Which is why I'm not in sales, and also probably why everyone but my mother is still making fun of my podcast ad reads. But for people who actually make their living selling stuff, well, Gong is their new best coach. So when I'm engaging with a customer, especially in introductory calls, I want them to do as much of the talking as possible. That's Megan Dorner, who sells software for a Canadian company called Ovic. I have no idea what the software does, but that's not important. The key fact about it is that it needs to be sold. The more the customer's talking, the more that I'm, I'm learning. 
especially like I said on on, a, on that first call. And so the longest customer story again is is how long they're telling a you know an interactive I guess one long tail. So, but if the customer is monologuing, that's good. That's correct. That's correct. But if you're monologuing, it's bad. Megan now pays attention to who's monologuing because Gong forces her to. Five minutes after every call, she gets a note from Gong filled with stats and a color-coded report card. One of the grades is based on the length of her monologues. When the customer monologues, Gong doesn't call it that. They call it a story. If you've got a a woman of few words on the other end of the line, there's not much you can do to tease a big story out of her. You're totally right. And that's when I find that my longest monologue, longest customer story, and talk ratio could be all in yellow. Yellow is Gong's color grade for a C. Green is an A. Red is an F. Megan's never in the red. She's one of Ovik's top salespeople and also, almost by definition, a salesperson that Gong thinks is great. The only yellow card she's ever likely to get from Gong is for interrupting. I'm somebody who likes other people. I like talking. I like engaging. I also like to be right. I like to help. I like to, you know, give the information I think is going to be helpful. And so I'm eager to do that. So in a funny way, you had to be a different kind of person when you were a salesperson than you were just out in the world. That's correct. All this leads to an obvious thought. If Gong's report cards work for sales, why stop there? So after I'll be with my friends or with family, I'll think to myself after I leave, God, I interrupted a lot. And it's just, it's always in the back of my mind now because I see it so often that my patience is low. Is it Gong that made you aware of it? Uh, more, more so than before, absolutely. Does anybody around you sense that your approach is changing at all? Is anybody noted to you that, you know, you're all of a sudden listening better to me? My spouse has. Does that count? <laughs> oh, my God. Tell me about that. Yes. So I, I, we've had the conversation after we've left a social setting where I've said, God, I, did, I was interrupting a lot at dinner or whatever. And uh, she has said to me, you know, you've been actually better than you have been previous. You know, you're getting better at listening. You're getting better at not interrupting. So she has noticed that, yeah, I don't, I don't do it quite as often. Did, she, did you then explain to her why you weren't doing it as often? No, absolutely not. Life is a market. Everyone's always looking for edges that other people don't have. Even a nice Canadian woman knows better than to give her secrets away. Do you think the world would be a better place if we were all gonged in all of our conversations? I think it depends on the level of, you know, give a shit that the person has to to want to do better or be better, right? But I think a lot of people who spend a lot of time just talking about themselves are unaware how much time they're spending talking about themselves. That's very true, yeah. There's no question that the future of this is gong trying to figure out and reduce to little color-coded bars what it is that causes a person to like another person. Oh, yeah. Which is scary when you think about it, but incredibly useful. Gong's now being used by 50,000 salespeople at almost 1,000 different companies. 
We grab Megan sort of at random, and she's a sample size of one, but it's not hard to see how this new coaching tool might shape behavior. It creates new stats, gong stats. The stats capture something true about the performance, the same way that, I don't know, on-base percentage captures something true about a baseball hitter's performance. The management pays more to the people with good stats, and so soon, everyone's just adjusting their game. Baseball hitters are learning plate discipline, and salespeople are learning patience. Most salespeople would say, like, gong is like, change my game forever. This is Amit Bendoff again. They use those words like a game changer. Uh, it is possible. If, if, if your product isn't good or competitive in the market, it doesn't matter if you ask, like, 13 questions, right? I mean, it's like, uh, so there's only so much that you can do. I mean, there's like, uh, this is not some kind of magic. It's just, like, facts. But there's something else that happens with data and the right analysis of it. It causes all kinds of folk beliefs to just disappear. Uh, let me give you an anecdote. So a lot of the, the managers and the coaches are often obsessed with the uh, filler words. When we introduce a product, oh, can you track like filler words? You know, like ooms and ums and like and so and like. It drives them nuts. But you know what? We ran the research and turns out there is zero correlation between like usage of filler words and success. Huh. So, so that parameter doesn't really matter. The managers were thinking that the more filler words, the worse. Yes. Right. It is annoying to hear them. When you listen to a recording and, there's a, it, and people say like a hundred times, it drives you nuts, right? Right. The fact is, it doesn't matter. The fact is, you never know any of this without all these facts. Gong is screwing up everybody's assumptions. Like the recent one was using swear words on calls. Does it help? Does it get in the way or does it even matter? And what, what's the answer? Um, so it depends. What the correlation, what the research shows. I assume, and, I assume it depends on what you're selling. Like if you're selling Bibles, it probably doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have any Bible sellers over there <laughs> uh, in, the, in the stats, but it's, it's run over like, you know, 50,000 people. So it's a, it's a fairly large number. But the corollary is that... Um, uh, it depends who starts first. If the buyer starts with curse words and you match that, that that's actually works better. But if you start it, it doesn't help. You might fucking believe that or you might fucking not. The point is that it doesn't matter what you believe. The data generates the knowledge. And the knowledge allows you to coach people how to do better at the most basic human activity, talking. Can you imagine a future like that distant future where human interactions will have changed pretty meaningfully because we'll all have been coached up in how to have conversations? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the device that you're using today, like namely like speech or the English language, hasn't changed much for thousands of years where the amount of information that we need to exchange today and the amount of noise and clutter and the environment is so different that it could definitely use an upgrade. An upgrade? Hmm. Well, one thing hasn't changed. If there are better ways to manipulate people, salespeople will find them first, and the rest of us will just follow. We focus on things that are uh, teachable or coachable, right? We can't teach anybody how to be funny. Wait, wait let, me stop, let, me stop, let me stop you for a second. I'm sorry. I know I interrupted, but this is important. You don't think you could teach people to be funny? Well, we haven't been able to crack that code yet. 
Maybe a meat hasn't cracked that code, but that doesn't mean that it can't be cracked. As listeners of this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert teams of nerds have the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You can measure precise things contained in the conversation, the words that people are saying to each other, um, and how it influences outcomes. Allison Wood Brooks is an associate professor at the Harvard Business School. Like, we're on a date. Do you want to go out with me again? We're on a sales call. Did it convert to a sale? Um, All kinds of things that you can connect the content of the conversation with things that really matter, with outcomes that really matter. Professor Brooks takes all these conversations and analyzes them. She's using the same new machine learning that Gong uses, but she's looking for different things. Give me an example, one example of something that you can you learn from this technology, like something someone says that leads the other person I'll to say, you, want to go on a date. The next I'll give time. you that exact example. We have a data set of people doing speed dating. Each person went on like 20 dates, okay, quick four to five minute speed dates Mm -hmm. uh, in round robin fashion. At the end of each date, you say, are you willing to go out with that person again? And they record and transcribe all the interactions. So now we see exactly what people are saying on their dates and we can measure what are the things that people are doing and saying that make them more likely to be more dateable in the future. Um, And one thing that really matters is question asking. So asking more questions for both men and women on these heterosexual dates leads to better 
dating outcomes. Really? Especially follow-up questions. Huh. How do you know that the people who are asking the questions aren't just naturally more attracted to the people who they're asking the questions of? Because, so two things. One, we can control for other aspects of attractiveness in this observational data. Two, we then come back to Harvard and run experiments where we tell people, ask a lot of questions in one condition or another condition where we say we don't tell them anything. Uh, In the condition where they're asking a lot of questions, they also are more attractive and likable. This new line of research has uncovered the various ways that people gain power and authority in conversation. This professor can prove that they work, and it's just made her want to ask even more questions. Even if you know conceptually what a charismatic, smooth, productive conversationalist looks like, is there any way that you can train people to actually get better at executing it? Brooks has all this data, some of it from Gong but also from doctor's appointments and work meetings and parole interviews and speed dating sessions and on and on and on. She uses the data to test theories about conversations. And one of those theories is about humor. There's this great work that the sense of play, right, is like the key to psychological safety and thriving and creativity. It's the only way that you can really be creative in the presence of others is if you feel safe to say something stupid and silly. That all sounds sensible to me, but do you have any like data to back up? Absolutely. Absolutely. What's the data? Let me tell you about one paper. It's a bi-directional finding, meaning people who have high status tend to be more free and use humor more freely. But the more interesting direction is... If you are of low status, if you can land a joke, people perceive you as higher status. A lot of polite laughter happens. So, But if other people think what you said is actually funny, appropriate for the circumstances, and at least one person laughs at it, your status takes this huge jump. Totally true. Right? So yes, it pays to be funny. Funny gets you status, and status gets you money. But the mystery remains. Can funny be coached? There's a part of me that wonders if there's a version of what's going on in baseball coaching that doesn't apply to what you're doing. And what's going on Mm -hmm. in baseball coaching is the technology has generated all this data about how a pitcher's body moves. And they're able to identify people who have an aptitude for doing things that is untapped because they have whatever the fundamental attribute is, arm speed, that you can't yep. teach. But but yep. translating the arm speed into a speed on a fastball is a different thing. And I wonder if there's an equivalent in conversation where you could identify the core traits that lead to conversational excellence. And you could figure out who's sort of maxing out and who's not and why. Totally. And not only that, Allison's taken everything she's learned about human speech, humor, and the rest, and built it into a new course at the Harvard Business School. It's called How to Talk Gooder in Business and in Life. It's trying to turn conversation into a science. It's like having the right arm for the fastball and not doing it quite right. You've got the brain space and the ability to do it. You just didn't think to do it. Um, that's the dream scenario. And that's really the hope with these HBS students, right? These are super smart people who maybe just haven't heard the right strategies. Hundreds of Harvard students tried to get into Allison's new class. She accepted 70, 70 of the world's most ambitious people, hoping that the science of conversation will offer them yet another edge in life. 
Many people would find it odd to approach a conversation seeking to maximize the profits of it. Exactly. Oh, it's but they icky. won't. No, they they'll love it. it. They'll love it. They want to perform optimally in every way in their lives. And this is the moment-to-moment way that you achieve that. Moment-to-moment. And in each moment, there's now data, which can be used by a coach. I'll be checking in with Allison's students next week and asking a new question. When you start to get an edge like this, a data edge, does the coaching start to shade into something else? Something that's maybe against the rules. I'm Michael Lewis. Thanks for listening to Against the Rules. Against the Rules is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. The show's produced by Audrey Dilling and Catherine Girardot, or Girardot, or Girardot, or Girardot. I've never gotten it right. With research assistance from Lydia Jean Cott and Zoe Wynn. Our editor is the magnificent Julia Barton, who finds my every mistake. Mia Lobel is our executive producer, and she disapproves of me half the time. Our theme was composed by Nick Bertel, who is really slumming it, working here, with additional scoring by Stellwagen Symphonette. We got fact-checked by Beth Johnson, which was totally unnecessary because our facts are always right. And our show was recorded by Topher Ruth and Trey Schiltz in spite of enduring the coronavirus in the studio, which is the Northgate Studios in Berkeley. As always, thanks to Pushkin's founders, Jacob Weisberg, who I think of as my brain, and Malcolm Gladwell, who I think of as my goal. Do you sense that the challenge with men is different from the challenge with women? We do have a good amount of uh, research on gender in conversation. Um, for example, we know Matthias Mel at the University of Arizona has this great paper showing that men and women are equally talkative. And even though women have the stereotype of being chattier, what he finds is that men and women both speak about 16,000 words per day. So that's about similar. But what we do know from other research is that men and women speak at different times, especially in the workplace. You know, I find I speak when a woman needs something explained to her. Exactly. You mansplain. Thanks, Michael. I use about 15 and a half thousand of my words every day (laughs) just to do that. And for, for some reason, for some reason, they don't appreciate it. If, this just in. Could I, could I learn how to get them to appreciate it by coming to your class? No. No? What kind of class is this? Oh my gosh, too funny. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, I'm Jessica St. Clair, but you can call me Jess if you're nasty. And I'm Dame Casey Wilson. We are actors, comedians, and podcasters. But above all else, we are self-appointed masters of small talk. We have written a soon-to-be Nobel Prize-winning audiobook that will shortly change the course of history called The Art of Small Talk. Now, it's no secret that, that some people don't like small talk. Don't like it. Casey, everybody hates it. Except for us. We love to chit-chat bullshit, and that's why we wrote this book. Well, it's an audiobook. You're welcome. Who has the time to read? Not me. There will be research, but not too much, because what is this, a book report? We'll also hear from learned scholars like Malcolm Gladwell and from the most important people in the world, celebs like Amy Poehler, Tony Hale, June Diane Raphael, and Colin Quinn. You can grab your copy of The Art of Small Talk today at pushkin.fm slash smalltalk or wherever you get your audiobooks. Don't forget, you can listen with your Audible and Spotify memberships too. The Art of Small Talk. How to go shallow to go deep. 